business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Now I make money moves. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Medsell. I am your host, and I have a special treat for you guys in this episode. A very special guest sitting across from me, Mr. Stu Shannon. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks so much for having me on, Joe. I'm excited to have a bit of a chat with you today. And mate, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to have you on the show. We uh, we spent the last couple of days together. You have uh, come to visit us here at, at Massive Joe's and TMJ Apparel in Adelaide, South Australia, from uh, from Wollongong. It's where you're based in New South Wales, um, guys. This is going to be uh, an awesome hour and a bit, uh, and you guys are going to get so much value out of this. Let me just give you a little bit of background to Stu before we dive into his journey. Uh, Stu does a, wears a few different hats. Uh, he's owner of Universal Supplements Australia, uh, which encompasses a couple of bricks and mortar supplement stores, online store as well. He's also the owner of Growth Labs Australia, which is his own uh, supplement brand, which focuses on mainly hormone supplements, capsule-based formulas, and that sort of thing. He's also one of the hosts of the What's Up podcast uh, with Will Warren Davey, owner of Primabolic. So him and Will run that, uh, that podcast. He's a husband. He's a father. He has another, well, he has one son and another son on the way. Uh, and he is... I'm going to say pillar. I know that you're not going to like that term, Stu, but I'm going to go with pillar uh, of the supplement industry in Australia and really kind of how it's evolved over the last, I'm going to say 15 years, man, 10 to 15 years. You have kind of been there at a lot of the different pivotal moments of what we now know as a supplement industry in Australia. Uh, and uh, you guys, the listeners and the viewers, you're going to hear some uh, different brand names and some different company names and uh, things that you are definitely familiar with, familiar with, some that are still around, some that are no longer around, um, but all of them that Stu has touched at one point along his career thus far. Uh, Stu, I, listen, I want to start with your journey focusing on your business journey, where you've come from, how you've got to the point you are now, and everything that has kind of happened along the way. Uh, and then we're going to take some deep dives into some particular parts of your journey and really kind of extract as much value as we can for the listeners and the viewers. So let's start there. All right. Well, thanks for the, the intro there, Joe. You know, when I hear it sort of said like that, it really does sound like, wow, there's, there's a lot going on. You've done a lot, man. Yeah. You're doing a lot at the moment. Yeah. But you've done a lot and you have had a lot to do with the different ebbs and flows of the industry over the last 15 years, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've definitely been around, you know, so, you know, right from sort of back kind of, you know, 2009, 2010 era, yeah. I've been there in the background to some extent, but, I, but you know, I've been right there and I've watched a lot of things come and go, you know, and when you were saying brands and, and stuff that have come and gone that we're going to talk about, you know, mm -hmm. some of this stuff is, you know, it's that real nostalgia for me and it's exciting to talk about because, you know, you've always got these golden memories of certain certain time periods 
throughout that last 15 years. So, you know, I'm really excited to touch on some of this stuff. Yeah, I'm excited for for you to share with the listeners and the viewers. You guys are going to love hearing the story and you're going to love the value that we're going to extract out of this story. In particular, uh, the the practical and strategic advice that Stu has to offer from his perspective and his life experience. So, Stu, let's begin with, you know, let's go, let's go right back to when you kind of decided that entrepreneurship and and business ownership was kind of your thing. Yeah. So, you know, like like you say, you know, rewinding right back to I guess when I left high school, yeah. I left became a landscaper and I think in doing that really developed a work ethic. And I think that's kind of step 1 for me mm-hmm. was knowing how to put in the hard yards and and with landscaping you really do that to, I guess, the truest sense, you know, developing that um, that sense of I need to really grind out to uh, to, to make something of myself in, in life. Um, so came out of high school, went into landscaping. Um, I enjoyed that, but I always felt that there was something more that I should be doing or something more that I could be doing. I kind of felt like this can't be all there is, you know, working for someone digging digging trenches basically and, and building retaining walls. There's got to be more more to this. And so I started dabbling in some some businesses, you know. I started having a crack at things yeah. um, and I found real joy in that. And I think that's always a, a good marker for it if you should be doing something. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying it? Um, are you getting something out of it? So I guess that's where the entrepreneurial side of me met with that that hardworking side of me, that work ethic was there. Um, and I, I started a, a really possibly somewhat strange, but interesting business. Um, and, and I caught the bug and, you know, just to kind of not to talk too much about it, but I'd just like to kind of share what that first business was because. I think you should. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so obviously Joe and I chatting before the podcast, you know, he already knows what's coming here and it, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's a bit different. But basically I was a homeowner early on. I saved, um, I saved very hard. That was really, I guess, one of the um, foundational principles that I learned was the ability to save. So I saved hard and I was able to buy a house early on. At about 23 years old, I was able to um, buy a house or, or possibly even earlier than that. But Anyways, I, I had a house and I had noticed that the curb numbers, you know, the, the little numbers that you have on the on your curb guttering beside your driveway that, you know, delivery drivers or whatever use to find your house. Sometimes it's not visible on the mailbox. I'd noticed that ours had started to fade off. Called the council and said, look, my curb numbers are fading. Can you guys come and repaint those for me? And um, the council said, actually, we're not responsible for that. We've never done that. It's the scouts who do that, um, and that's part of their fundraising. They don't do it anymore. They don't do it these days. You know, what reason that is, I've got no idea. Maybe it's something to do with safety or, you know, knocking on a stranger's door. But the scouts don't do it anymore. They used to charge 20 bucks, and they'd come and respray your numbers. Um, and that kind of, for me, something clicked in my head, and I went, aha, this is something super easy that I can do. If I can make $20 per house, I only have to do 10 houses a day and I'm making as much money as I'm making landscaping. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. And that was my first business. That was where the entrepreneurial bug started. 
Um, I did a few different things after that. You know, there was a jumping castle company at one point and, you know, everything from uh, coin-operated massage chairs I had a, I had a dabble in. But I, I really, I think for me at that time, I was chasing something that was going to, um, to make me quick money. And, uh, yeah, I was passionate about entrepreneurship, but it really wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Now, while all this was going on, I was also um, personal training. That was my true passion was fitness. And, and, um, and that's where my first really successful business started um, was in personal training. Um, I had been doing personal training the same way that everyone else does it. You know, you're, you're either paying rent to a gym, you're training your clients out of there, you're working with your standard weight loss clients and all that sort of thing. And it, and it was doing reasonably well, but I wasn't knocking it out of the ballpark by any means. Um, and I was engaged at this point in time. So my ex was dragging me around to all these uh, these bridal expos. And I remember walking around and hearing all the brides-to-be saying the same things to the dressmakers, which was basically like, you know, I'm a, I'm a 14 now, but I want to be a 12 by my wedding. Or I'm a, I'm a 12 now, but I want to be a 10 by my wedding. So they're all ordering dresses that were too small for them. And I didn't see any personal trainers there. And another light bulb. Went off. That's the opportunity once again. That's it. Opportunity's knocking. Here's a market. And that day, I registered the business name The Bride Buster. And I started, I I completely changed the direction of my personal training business. And I just started prepping women for their weddings. That was my, that was my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. That was all I did. I wouldn't take on any other clients unless you're getting married and doing a wedding prep. And this was a whole new concept, right? So I'd come from the, from the bodybuilding world um, and I knew how to prep someone for a show. Mm. So essentially all I had to do was transfer comp prep, but now we call it wedding prep and I'm the bride buster. <laughs> um, and it was great, you know. I, I had a lot of fun doing that, but that was where I found my groove. I was like fitness, yeah. um, you know, this is my place. This is my industry. I love it. Personal training is very time consuming. You have to give a lot of yourself. You have to be there. You have to physically be in the gym with the client. And, you know, I think I got to a point in time where I realized I couldn't do that forever either. Mm. Um, and also it's, it's not infinitely scalable. And that was a problem for me, right? I got to a point where at, at, there was one time where I was prepping 30 girls for their weddings at once and I was spreading myself too thin. I couldn't give those girls the attention that, they deserved, and I couldn't scale up. I couldn't get it any bigger. Um, and that was where I started to kind of shift my focus and and realize that this is not going to be my long-term ultimate sort of life goal. And I guess I kind of put entrepreneurship aside for a minute. Um, and I went, let's just, let's just get another nine to five and we'll forget about dabbling in businesses for a little bit because this is becoming too much for me. That that business put so much stress on my relationship mm. that that relationship broke down. You know, I destroyed a relationship over over a business and and putting um not being able to find that balance that I've later kind of learned how to find. So um yeah, that's when I uh as you know, uh moved into supplements and this really is where kind of multiple paths combined and really lasered me in. Um, I got a job managing Aussie Sup Shell Harbour. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aussie Sup's, a lot of you guys will remember that brand because there was franchises 
all around the country. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll remember it well, Joe. Yeah, um, it was huge, man. I think, you know, there was uh, across the country, there was over 20 stores at one point, uh, bricks and mortar retail stores. And it was a force to be reckoned with, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, probably into the 2012-ish type uh, period. But you'll talk more a little bit about how that, that kind of played out. I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but, it was, uh, and it was, you know, that was an exciting time in, in supplements, Joe. And you'll remember this time because this was when, you know, you were also building something and, and everyone who was in supplements at that time was flourishing. There was money to be made um, and there was just, it seemed like an an infinite customer base. Everyone was excited about supplements um, and you really couldn't step a foot wrong if you were in that industry. But needless to say, I really, really loved that. I loved being in a supplement store. Um, and, you know, people kind of said to me, Stu, you know, like, you're taking this job as a retail manager. It's paying like 50 grand a year. Like, is this really what you want to do? You've had this successful, you know, you've had this successful personal training company making a lot more than that. Um, is this what you want to do? And, you know, I just loved it that much that I was happy to do that. And I was happy to not be rewarded financially the same way that I was with my business, yeah. but being able to do something that I was passionate about. Um, and you know, I think with that passion comes success. So my store was performing really well. Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't take long before the Shell Harbor store was the top performing store in the country. Um, and I was fairly quickly promoted to state manager for the New South Wales state manager of Aussie Subs. Uh, and so I was making a lot of decisions about what were happening in the stores. I was, you know, um, I guess, in communication with all the store managers statewide. Um, and it was at that point that I was um, kind of introduced to the structure of, of the company that I was working for. Yeah. Um, so the company was a lot bigger than just Aussie Subs. And a lot of people who remember Aussie Subs or, or who were even working in Aussie Subs, they weren't informed about this at the time because there was some strange kind of um, – managerial decisions and structures being made within the companies. And a lot of it was kept very secret and very hush-hush um, for specific reasons that I'll get into. But under that um, company structure came multiple businesses. We had Aussie Subs. There was a big distribution company that people who were working in the industry will remember um, called, well, there was two really. There was NDA and King Sports. And there was also Gold's Gym Australia. And these businesses were all owned by the one company. Yeah. And so once I was um, state manager, I was kind of led into that inner circle. Um, and I, it, it, to be honest, Joe, I really enjoyed my time doing that and working. It wasn't until, you know, a couple of years in that I started to see um, some concerning decisions being made. Um, some concerning moves being made and some things that didn't sit right with me ethically and morally. But, um, you know, needless to say, that was the company that I was, I was working for and I was doing my very best for those companies. And I think just to add, you know, because people in the industry would – no NDA and King Sports. I think pretty much everybody knows Gold's Gym, right? So that's kind of like up in lights. But just to kind of add a little bit of um, 
reputation to these distribution companies. These were the companies that were responsible for first bringing SciTech to Australia. Yeah. They were responsible for bringing Craze, the pre-workout that everybody Everyone remembers, remembers these Craze right? to Australia. Responsible for bringing Ronnie Coleman's signature series to Australia. Responsible for bringing products like Body Effects to Australia. So this was a not here to fuck spiders distribution company at That's the time. That's right. These you were know. the big brands at the time. These were the big brands. These were the big products. This was, you know, NDA and King Sports, I remember at the time in the late, the late 2000s, really kind of shifted the needle of the supplement industry at the time because these were these were big products man you know like i remember craze was the was the craze at the time yeah, it was you, you know, you know you how many scoops can you do can you drop three scoops of craze <laughs> and it was you know the name said it all it was yeah. craze was crazy yeah. um but yeah so there was they were the biggest distri- distributors that there were Maybe not in terms of turnover, but in terms of the like impact, the impact, in terms and the of popularity, the and the and what 100%. people wanted, and just in terms of like finding unique products, you know, like like NDA was the first company to look outside of the US, and that's how SciTech and SciTech is a European protein company, yeah. right? And and NDA was was the distributor that said, you know what, we don't need any more US brands. Let's there's the whole world to look at here. Let's go and have a look in Europe stumbled across SciTech, brought SciTech to the Australian marketplace. And now SciTech is, is still here. You know, what are we, 13, 14, 15 years later? Yeah. But NDA was responsible for that. They were. So, and I, I think that, like you said just then, Joe, you know, like I think the US had become a little bit complacent yeah. in some of their product development and it just assumed that they were going to rule the world of supplements forever. Yeah. And people started to realise with things like SciTech that, mm-hmm. hey, there's, it's possible to make a protein that doesn't, taste like, you know, like dirt. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, there, were, there was all these exciting flavors and, and, you know, all of a sudden this world opened up to people and this was still in the, in the, in the supplement glory days, right? Yeah. So this you were was still the making infancy. money. Like I'm yeah. talking, you know, we were doing numbers through the till, Joe. Yeah. It was, um, it was all happening. Um, but, you know, being involved in that corporate structure, um, seeing, the company's doing well or the mm-hmm. business is doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I looked at this at the time as my opportunity to really make my mark. Um, because Gold's Gym was under that banner, mm-hmm. I thought this is something I'd really like to be involved in. You know, I grew up um, watching movies like Pumping Iron, you know, with the classic Gold's Gym. Didn't and we the, all? And, and so yeah. it was, you know, for me that was exciting. And I went, what do I need to do to – own my own Gold's Gym. What do I need to do to make that my avenue? Yeah. And that was that was like my, you know, I had the blinkers on, that laser focus. I must do Gold's Gym Illawarra. And um, you had you had the resources at the time as well, right? Like at this at this point, you're in your mid twenties, right? You mentioned that you got into some property investments. You'd made good equity gains, so you had like your personal balance sheet was looking pretty good. You'd run some successful businesses, like you mentioned. You were running the top Aussie sub store. You were bought into the corporate structure, so you had the the financial backing yes. to take this next step. That's right, and I mean, you know, I def, def, you're definitely right there. So. You know, I think you have to build to a certain point before you can make a leap like this. Um, and and I was very blessed in that um, I had been given some opportunities in 
the industry. Um, but I was also very blessed in the fact that the property market did exceptionally well for three years after I bought. Yeah. Um, so the value in my property had skyrocketed. Mm. Um, but in saying that, I wasn't in such a financial position whereby I could afford to invest in Gold's Gym and, you know, still have anything left over. Yeah. So for me to do this, it was all or nothing. Yeah. It was, you know, put the house on it. Mm -hmm. and let's make this work. And that was my intention, you know. And I've always been someone who, with that work ethic that I built, whatever I have to do, I will do to make this work. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of faith in myself that, you know, if I bought into this franchise, if I bought this Gold's Gym Illawarra, I would make it work no matter what. Um, and I didn't take into account, I think at that point, at that young age, that sometimes there are things that are beyond our control. Um, and, you know, I did. I bought into the Gold's Gym. I bought the franchise rights for the Illawarra. So I bought an enormous area, um, which cost me quite a lot of money. So for those of you who aren't from the Illawarra, it spans from southern Sydney all the way down to like Bombardieri, which this is like, um, you know, this is like, if you're driving that, it's going to take you like two hours. So I bought that entire area um, with a business partner, um, my my good friend, Mick Jessup. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of touch on that a bit in a minute. But bought the franchise rights. Everything was going well. I'm thinking I'm the man, you know. I'm flying high. This yeah. is my ticket. Life is good, baby. I've made it. I'm yeah. going to be the owner of Gold's Gym Illawarra. Yeah. Um, and I'm very excited. This is very exciting for a young guy who's passionate about fitness. You know, you've made all these steps. You've worked hard. You've saved your dollars. You've bought property. You've done everything right that you possibly can. And now it's your time to shine. And this for you as well at the time was really kind of the – the delta point of your entrepreneurial streak and your passion in health and fitness, right? This was kind of, you'd, you'd messed around in entrepreneurship, but hadn't quite hit the passion. Then you kind of flipped it and you went towards the passion, but you weren't able to exercise the entrepreneurial streak. And then the opportunity comes up with the Gold's Gym Illawarra. And it's like, well, here's my passion. And I get to own and run the business. This is like everything just compounding on top of each other. It was, it, you know, at the time, it must have felt like the perfect fucking opportunity, right? Well, it was. It was like, for me, it was the dream come true. Yeah. It was happening for me. Yeah. I was making it, you know, and, and this was going to be enormous. And, you know, being someone who, you know, in a business sense, you know, we, we've talked a few times about the 10-year room and the 20-year room and all this sort of thing. Yeah. I was as green as you can get. You know, I was fresh yeah. um, as far as owning and running a real business. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, I put everything I had into buying those franchise rights, so I needed a developer. I needed someone to build this gym for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember going and buying a, a cheap suit from Lowe's. Um, and, you know, because this is like oh, I'm thinking, well, I've got to look the part. Yeah. If I'm going to be pitching to developers, I've got to, have a, I've got to have a business suit. And I bought the cheap suit from Lowe's. It fit me really poorly. You know, it looked like I was wearing my dad's suit. And I'm just there calling up property developers, like – can I have a chat to you about a, a proposal? Mm -hmm. um, and I went into these meetings, Joe, and I probably did 30 meetings with different developers. And I remember the general attitude was, it was almost like, you know, not um, literally, but it was almost as if I was laughed out of these meetings. Yeah. Um, until one developer um, wanted to give me a go. And he said it to me. He said, you're green as grass. He goes, you've got no idea what you're doing. He goes, but I love your passion. 
and I'm going to do this for you. Yeah. Um, and he basically said, I want to build you what you guys want, but know that whatever you decide I'm going to build, you're going to pay rent for that. So don't go over the top, um, but let's build something. And we got to design this gym exactly the way we wanted it architectural plans. This was going to be the crown jewel in Gold's Gym Australia. This was going to be a gym that you walk into, the doors open and you're awestruck, you know. Um, and I was just so excited, you know. It would – the Illawarra had never seen a gym like this before. We didn't have any big box style gyms yet. Um, and it was all happening. It was all happening. It was underway. We got the DA done. Um, we had started Earthworks. This has all happened over like a – probably like a two-year period. Mm. And everything was running swimmingly. But at the same time, I had seen some things happening within that company that I talked about, you know, the, 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 the company that oversaw those Aussie subs, the, the distribution companies and Golds. I had seen some things that were concerning. Mm -hmm. I'd seen some money being pulled from one business to another to float – other businesses. And I had seen um, really, really poorly managed finance by, by the owner of those companies. Um, and I'd seen him taking a lot out for personal use. Um, so there was definitely starting to grow within me some concerns and some real negative feelings, but I tried to push those to the pit of my stomach. Yeah. I didn't want to see any of that. I wanted to see the bright lights I wanted to see Gold's Gym is going to happen. Let him do that and, you know, that'll be fine. Don't worry about what, what he's doing. You worry about your gym and make that the best gym it can be. Um, and the first thing that we saw was King Sports Sync, which was a shock. This was one of the pinnacle distribution companies of the supplement industry. This was the company that had brought us the Ronnie Coleman products at the time. And... It sunk. There was no money left. It wasn't making money or there was stock going out of date in warehouses and it wasn't being pushed the way it should have. You know, there was deals that could have been done that were left behind. You know, we had an opportunity to move $200,000 worth of stock to a company in New Zealand um, at a discounted rate, but they decided not to go with that because we weren't getting full price on it. And all sorts of things were happening, Joe, and it was concerning. So that sunk. Mm. Um, you know, you're talking to the other guys within the corporate structure and everyone's saying everything's fine. You know, this is, this is fine. Everything's fine. This is part of the plan. Don't stress. Everything's going ahead. And then we saw NDA sync. So the distribution side was totally gone. So now the company is just Aussie subs and golds. And my store was still performing in Shell Harbor. So at this point, I'm still working in the, in the, Shell Harbor store as the manager, doing the state manager role, and I'm doing this Gold's Gym thing. My store's still performing, so I'm a little bit blinded to what's going on. Um, and it's still doing the numbers that it's always done and, and everything's fine. And then I start to see bit by bit, Aussie Sub stores closing down. Um, and they're failing, you know, quite badly. And I'm still asking, is everything okay? What's happening with the company? No, it's fine. Gold's is going to be our, our avenue. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Everything wasn't fine. Um, and, you know, I got a phone call one day to let me know that um, 
that my Aussie sub store, which had been the top performing store in the country, was still turning over good money, um, was closing. The whole company was going into liquidation. And this was a shock to me. I had never, ever missed a monthly target. The whole entire time that I'd worked there, I'd never, ever missed my sales targets. So I knew the numbers that we were turning over. And I'm like, how can this be? I said, Stu, your store's the only one that's making money anymore. There's no other stores making money. And that company was, was going under, but I'm still okay. I'm still cool. I've still got golds. I've got my baby still. We're fine. Golds is, golds is my ticket. This is, this is no problem. Yeah, King Sports, NDA, Aussie subs have all gone bust, but, but golds is still fine. Golds wasn't fine either. Um, there were things going on that even I wasn't privy to. Um, and I got a call one day from Gold's Gym US. Um, you know, when, Gold, when you're getting a call from Gold's Gym US and the heads of the company are, are, you know, are calling you, you're like, this is not normal. Normally I'm always dealing with the Australian corporates. And they said to, uh, to me that the master franchisor had lost the license rights. Um, he had mismanaged money. Um, there was all sorts of things going on that they were investigating, but they had decided to cancel the master franchisor's license rights. And they said, anybody who has signed a franchisee agreement that does not have a gym currently operating, is null and void. You're not Gold's Gym anymore. You can build your gym if you want, but it ain't Gold's Gym. And so that was it. And everything that I'd poured into, into Gold's Gym, all this money that I'd spent on the franchise rights was gone overnight. And I had to walk myself down there as, you know, this passionate, proud 20-something-year-old and tell all the earthworks, everyone stop. You know, I had to call Tony, who was the developer. Tony, it's, it's done. We're not proceeding anymore. And that was like soul-crushing for me. That was like a really, really hard time in my life, Joe, because I, I, I had realized at that point that everything I had worked up to that point was gone. It was done. There was nothing left. I had about $10,000 left, which, you know, 10000 I may as well have, you know, zero. Yeah. 10000 ain't going to do you much. 10000 is not going to really get you very far in the business world. You know, maybe I could, maybe I could start up another company spray painting the, the numbers on people's curbs with that amount of money, you know. So this was like a, like a, you know, this was a really, really tough, tough pill to swallow. Like that deep, hard, tough pill to swallow where you're like from my whole life from, you know, 16 years old till today. Gone. And you, you know, you, you, this really for you, this was losing everything you had at that point in time, right? That's right. All of your wealth that you had accumulated over the different businesses, over the different years, the equity in the properties, everything that you, you, your job as the store manager, everything that you had at that point in 2015 now was literally that phone call from Golds in the US that was, you know what, it's, it's, you're back to square one for you. Null and void. You're, that's it. And, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell you I bounced back immediately. Yeah. I'd love to tell you I picked myself up and, you know, I just got up and got going, but it didn't happen that way. Mm. I spent a long time licking my wounds. I spent a long time angry. I spent a long time angry at the 
um, owner of those companies. I spent a long time angry at the world. Um, I spent a long time just really cursing the situation I was in. And I spiraled into, um, into a bit of a depression, which was the toughest time of my life so far. My 34 years on this earth, that was the hardest time, you know, and I went real deep really deep into a t- depression to the point where I was, you know, I was, I was ready to throw in the towel on life itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess that all came to a point when, you know, there was a day where I was, I had made the decision that that's exactly what I was going to do. And thank goodness I had a moment of, I don't know what, I had a breakdown basically, fell to the floor started crying, you know, um, ended up calling, a, you know, grown man, ended up trying to call my mum, you know, and um, she she didn't answer the phone and I called my psychologist, you know, because I'd already been seeing someone. I was going through a really difficult time and she ended up, um, you know, getting me some help um, and I ended up after that point spending three weeks in a private mental health facility, mm-hmm. um, which was a real, real pivotal moment for me, Joe. That was like, if there's a point where your life takes a sharp turn, that was it for me. You know, it it really turned from there. Um, I met some people in there that were amazing. I met some psychologists in there that were amazing. Um, And that was where I developed my love for reading. And I think that was one of of the, the key things that helped get me through this was reading, you know, and realizing that, for every difficult time you can go through, for every hardship you can endure, there's somebody who's done it before you and written about it. And that brought me some peace, you know, and I, will, I got right into reading. I'd never been a reader before that. And I was really able to start shaping my thoughts differently. And that was due to the help from, from psychologists. You know, I really got into um, challenging thoughts. Um, I got into mindfulness activities and I started to focus on my mental health as much, if not more than my physical health, because that'd be my focus up to this point, you know? Um, And that really was how the mindset changed, but I'm still in a hole, you know, I'm still financially in a hole. Um, You know, I'm like, what am I going to do now? And I, came out of that and went, you know what? It can't get any worse than this. I'm at the bottom of the hole. It's really dark down here. And it's very, very hard to see any light at the top of this hole, but at least there's no further down I can go. Anything that I do from here is a bonus. Worst case scenario, whatever I do from here fails and I'm just still standing at the bottom of the hole. And I started thinking and I went, what? can I do? How can I make some money? I could go back to landscaping, but I thought, is that going to be good for my mental health? Is that going to lead me in the direction where I want to be heading? And I realized it wasn't. And I went, you know what? It's probably about time that I started just taking some risks. And when I say risks, now that I think back, really the risk wasn't huge. I had 10 grand left to my name. So even if I lost that, I'm kind of really at the same point. The difference between 10 grand and zero is not much. Um, And I was very, very lucky that I had a friend whose father owned a building in Port Kembla. Mind you, Port Kembla, um, just to give you a bit of an understanding, this is like a dead spot of Wollongong. 
Hawk Kendler is not a booming retail center. This is like, a, a, there's a stretch called Wentworth Street. And these are all businesses that during the kind of um, the downsizing of the steelworks, which is one of our major industries, um, you know, the, the workforce of the steelworks went from 20,000 men to about 5,000 men through the 90s. And Port Kembla is the is the area that the steelworks is in. So, you know, that area died. And it's like a ghost town of all old, closed, shut-down businesses. Um, we even had working girls, you know, working the street. It was, it was a pretty rough part of town. Um, and my mate's father had a failed business that had been closed down and derelict for 15 years. It was an old furniture warehouse. Um, and I had this like, you know, I think that little tiny spark of, of entrepreneurship kind of started to come on like a, you know, like a halogen globe sort of buzzing. And I went, well, I can't afford rent anywhere. But, you know, I just can't afford it. I can't, like, there's no way I can, I can possibly rent a retail front. But this place has been sitting around doing nothing for my mate's dad for 15 years. Maybe I could start a business out of there. Maybe I could talk him into giving me 12 months rent free. And maybe if I just did all of the fit out myself, built the walls, did everything myself, I could create a supplement store from scratch. But if I'm going to have a pro proper go at this, I'm going to do it way better than what we did at Aussie Subs. Now, at one time, Aussie Subs was a great company, but there were some things I didn't like about it as well. I didn't like that Aussie Subs pushed us to sell high markup items that I didn't believe in to customers, knowing that it wouldn't help them. I, I didn't like that. That that really didn't sit right with my values and with my ethics. So I said, these are my core um, pillars for this company. If I wouldn't use it myself or I wouldn't give it to my mum, it's not going to be on my shelf. And I said, what were the problems with all these subs? We had too much stock. We were always having things going out of date that we were then having to put in bargain bins or hock off or throw away. And I went, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have less stock. So when I build this store with whatever money I have left, I'm going to build it small. I'm going to make it intimate. It's not going to be small, Joe. It's going to be intimate. And so I'm going to build it small and I'm only going to have about you know, long-term goal, about $50,000 worth of stock on hand, which is bugger all. Um, <clears throat> and so I did. I got in there and I built the walls and I, you know, laid the floors myself and I managed to get a buddy to give me a half-price deal on some signage for the front of the shop. And I, I did a bit of a sneaky act, honestly, Joe, to get my stock to start with. Um, when the... Um, King Sports and NDA companies got in trouble. The owner of those companies decided that he would try and hide the stock so that liquidators couldn't get their hands on any of it. And he had sent a lot of that stock to me, to my store in Shell Harbour. We had a really big storage area there. He didn't want them to go into the warehouse and find stock. But I'd also discovered that for the entire time I'd been working at Aussie Sups, I had not been paid any super. And I went, you know what? How can I make this sit right with my ethics? How can I make this sit right with my values and morals? And I went, well, the stock that he has hidden with me in the confidence that I'll protect it for him is probably roughly the same value of the super that I've missed out on. And that was the stock that I used to start my store. 
So I spread out whatever remaining NDA and King Sports stock was left. And, and mind you, Joe, these weren't their, their popular items that were left. These were like the things that were hard to sell. But I, I spread them across my store. I made my shelves look full and I started trading. But I started trading with passion. Um, and I started trading with that work ethic. And I'd love to say that it was an instant success. It wasn't. It wasn't a success at all. Um, for the first year, I didn't take a wage and I didn't make anything. For the second year of trading, I was able to take a wage, but I still, the business still hadn't made any money. Um, and it was really hard for me, Joe. I, um, I considered throwing in the towel on the business a number of times. Um, but I used a lot of the principles that I was learning from, you know, these books that I was reading, um, you know, I'd been getting right into philosophy and I also had an incredibly supportive partner who said, Stu, you're good at this. You need to keep doing this. I believe that we can make this work. Now, when you're, you know, a family man and you've got to keep a roof over people's heads, there's that extra ton of dimension of responsibility that's really weighing down on you. And, you know, I think as a man, if we're not providing, we tend to feel like failures. Um, and Renee had to really step up and, and take a lot of the responsibility of providing for, for a lot of that period. And that was hard to swallow, but it also taught me to put my ego aside, you know, and I think that egos are a business killer. So I put my ego aside and I kept working and I kept buckling down. And, you know, in the third year, we made a little bit of money. And in the fourth year, we made a little bit more money and fast forward to today. And the business is hugely successful. You know, I've been able to do a second store. Um, I'm currently building a, a, you know, a new headquarters for us and a third store. Um, the online is, you know, is doing incredibly well. I've been able to build my own brand from scratch that is also doing well. Um, but really it all came down to my mindset. You know, how am I going to look at this situation? You know, what can I control? What can I have an impact on? And I guess that brings us to kind of here where we are today. So it's been a roller coaster. It's a great, it's a great story, man. Like, you know, and, and it's not a story, it's real life. Like this is this is what you've lived for the last 15 years. And um the listeners and the viewers would know that I'm not often quiet on the podcast, but I just, you know, I just had to let you tell that uh, you know, that that journey that you've been through thus far, because it is, you know, it's it's such a um a great example of coming up, getting knocked down, stepping back up again, you know, building something from scratch again and, you know, just continuously standing back up when when the universe kind of throws things at you that 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 knock you knock you down, you know, knock you out. And I think, you know, especially given the timeliness of this of this uh, interview and the timeliness of this podcast, the last couple of years for a lot of the listeners and a lot of the viewers through the pandemic and everything that that has entailed, you know, a lot of people are in this position where for no fault of their own, they have lost a lot, if not everything. You know, they've lost businesses, they've lost relationships, they've lost investments, you know, effectively kind of what you went through in 2014, 2015, when everything around you was collapsing, it had nothing to do, like you were, you were the, the shining light through it all. It had nothing to do with you. It wasn't your fault, but it was still your responsibility to figure out what the fuck to do. 
So I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that. And, you know, I can only imagine, and you, you mentioned that you went through some, you know, really difficult mental health struggles and even battled with depression there. And you had the three week stint at the mental health facility. For people who are listening and watching right now who are going through a really tough time, right? They're where, they're where you were in 2014, 2015. They've kind of hit what is their rock bottom. How do you deal with the psychological aspect of that? I think that, you know, that question is, is, is really probably the hardest one to answer because you're needing to find some, you know, some profound vision in a really dark time. And, you know, when you're in a dark time, you, you, you're not using that logical part of your mind. Um, you're using the emotional part, right? Because you're knocked down. You're hurting. You're, you, you know, you're hopeless. And I think it's about, <clears throat> for me, you know, I look at stoicism often. Mm. This is my favorite, you know, school of philosophy is me stoicism. Too. Me too. Absolute favorite. And I think something that I, I look at now um, through having read a lot of different, you know, stoic um, literature is you really need to focus on the things you can control and you need to let go of the things you can't. And it's hard to do. It's easier said than done, right? But you need to switch on that logical part of your mind and say, I can't control X, Y, Z, but I can control this. Now, start small. Even if the thing you can control is I can get up and have a shower today and I can go out and apply for a job. That's something you can control. That's something you have total power over. You do not have, maybe you don't have control over the fact that your company shut down during COVID. Maybe you don't have control over the fact that you got let go or whatever, but your reaction to that is what's more important than what has happened. Bad, thing happen, bad things happen to everyone. Um, and it's about finding logic, finding logic. It's a wasted experience spending time thinking about the things you can't control. I can't do anything about it. Thinking about it achieves nothing for me. Dwelling on it achieves nothing for me. What can I better do with my thoughts? What can I do? And it might be small. You know, if you're in that pit of depression and you're in that dark period where, you you know, like I said to you, Joe, I was ready to throw in the towel. If you're at that point, my first of all, if you are at that point, my advice is go and seek some real help. Seek some professional help if you're in depression. But if you're not that far gone and you're at that point where you're sitting at home and you're going, what, am, what can I do? I need to pay the rent. I need to, you know, I've got to pay the school fees. I've got to pay the bills. I've got to buy groceries. How can I do all this? Don't try and bite that whole meal at once. You need to look at what can I control. So today, right now, what do I have? I have a roof over my head, hopefully. Maybe you don't. I have, I'm alive. I'm breathing. So that's, that's step one, right? So let's start looking at the positives and let's start tallying them. I'm, I've woken up this morning. That's more than some people can say. Some people didn't. So I've woken up this morning. I'm alive and I'm breathing. Now, at the point where I get out of bed, what can I do from here? What decisions can I make that are going to positively affect my outcomes for today, for this moment? I'm not going to stress about things I can't control. Right now, there's not enough money in the bank to pay the mortgage, but I have no control over that. 
So let's put that aside for a moment. Not forget about it and not, not discount it as a concern, but let's put it aside and let's focus my energy on things I can control. I can have a shower. I can have a shave and make myself look presentable. I can dress nicely to make myself feel positive about myself. I can go out and I can start going business to business and asking, do you have any spare hours that I could, uh, you know, if you're willing to go out there and you're not easily disgusted, there's jobs. No, there's jobs. If you're willing to knock door to door and say, I will do anything for money right now, you know, I will, I will be the janitor. I'll scrub the toilets. I will, you know, I'll flip burgers. This is coming back to that. Let the ego go. You know, don't ever think you're too good for anything and take small steps. And that is, I guess, the starting point. That's the best way to me to get yourself out of that. Switch your thinking, try and get out of emotional thinking and try and get into logical thinking, tackle the things you can control in small pieces and put aside the things you can't control. There's a couple of things that that I always anchor back into that are really kind of based in the philosophy of, of Stoicism as well. And it's interesting because I think when a lot of people hear the word Stoic or they hear, you know, Stoic philosophy, Stoicism, the immediate kind of assumption is lack of emotion. Yeah, cold, heartless. Cold, heartless, doesn't feel positive emotion, doesn't feel negative emotion, is just like some sort of emotionless creature. And it's just a, it's a misunderstanding of, of what the Stoic philosophy is about. A couple of things that I always anchor back into, right? The first one is um, something that's used in, in rehab, which is the serenity prayer, right? It's God grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot control. Grant me the courage to change what I can control and grant me the wisdom to know the difference, right? And that's, that's everything that you've just, you, you, that's the first point. What is within my control? What is outside of my control? I have no choice but to accept that the last two years has been a pandemic and it's been really fucking hard. And it was, there's nothing I could do. It wasn't my fault, right? I didn't contribute to it. It just is what it is. And I can't fight it. I have to accept it. And once you go past that, once you get over that first bridge of acceptance, right? Accept what you cannot control. Then it's about, okay, what can I control? And do I have the courage to push my ego aside, right? And do whatever the fuck I have to do to be able to control my controllables, right? That's like the first kind of step. That's the first step, right? right? And then the second thing is, okay, well, what, what are the controllables? And I always come back to four things. I think there's always four things that no matter what happens, you always can control your actions, your responses, your effort, and your attitude. Those are the four things. They're always within your control. And then the question becomes, do you have the courage to go and act upon what you can act upon? respond in a way that's going to be productive, exert 110% effort and approach each and every day with a positive, optimistic attitude. 100%. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't phrase that better than you just did, you know, with those things that are within your control. And I think the really beautiful thing about just tackling the things you can control is it has a compounding effect, right? Because once you take control of those things, bigger things become within your control. So, you know, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you're three weeks down the track or a month down the track and you go, actually, now I can continue to pay my mortgage. Actually, now I can go out and do the grocery shopping. And these things now that were previously had to be put aside because 
they weren't within the control, they now are. And so there's this compounding effect where, you know, the, the, the control grows and, and then you get to a point where, you know, you apply this philosophy for long enough that you really can build something quite nice for yourself. And I really loved what you said about stoicism there because people who haven't really gotten into the nitty gritty of it and read about it, because it's a common phrase, right, he's quite stoic, mm -hmm. you know, meaning the, the guy is just, you know, deadpan. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I think that maybe that comes from the fact that Stoics, if you were to just observe the way that they're reacting to horrid situations, you might assume that they didn't have a heart because, you know, their life has fallen apart, but they're able to deal with it. And you'd say only someone whose heart is made of stone could possibly deal with that. But it's really about the fact that they have managed to get into that logical thinking and start controlling things. You know, there's no, there's, there's nothing to say that you can't be a stoic and really, really be a passionate and, um, you know, exciting person to be around and enthusiastic. And, you know, that's, I wouldn't call myself a stoic, but I definitely take a lot from that philosophy um, when it comes to using logic. I think logic is a real key um, that a lot of people fail to use, you know, and we all saw it during the pandemic. I think, you know, we even saw, um, you know, our leaders sometimes seemingly failing to use logic on, on certain situations. And it was really hard to watch, um, you know, and you can get frustrated about it, but it comes back to logic. Let's get into that mindset. Let's get out of the emotional. Let's get out of reactive th actions. I want to also ask you, because now, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to the listeners and the viewers that are they need the practical and strategic advice now to kind of start turning things around, right? And that's the acceptance, it's the courage, and it's the controllables. You are now, you know, from, from 2015 when you kind of lost everything to 2022. So you're kind of seven years in now, right? And a lot of the listeners and the viewers, they're going to pick themselves back up. They're going to control their controllables. They're going to accept what they can't control and have the courage to do what they can, to change what they can. As we kind of get to 2025, 2027, 2030, and there's a couple of things that are going to crop up now. And that's going to be, you know what, that period of 2020 to 2022 was really fucking hard for me. You know, perhaps I lost a business, perhaps I lost a relationship, perhaps I lost a loved one to COVID, right? The trauma that was associated with that period. How have you ensured that as time has gone on, you have made sure that you have kind of erred on the side of post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic stress? And in particular, how have you made sure that you are living through visions of what your future can be rather than memories of what your past was? I, I think... Joe, for me personally, and this might be different for other people, but this is some this is some real advice that I can give that, you know, if it was one of my brothers coming to me, I would give the same advice. And it comes back to um, what I was talking earlier about thought challenging. Now, I've been through some trauma, okay? And this didn't happen overnight, right? You, you always, when you experience trauma, you want to say, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. And there is no way of shedding a positive light on this. Okay. But I would say that the most, some of the most growth I've made in my life has come out of trauma. 
That's a positive, okay? Would I like to go and experience that trauma again? No, but am I glad now from the viewpoint that I have that it happened? Yeah, I am glad that some of the trauma happened. I am glad that I had to start from scratch and I learned that lesson, you know? I am glad that I've spent time with nothing um, because I think it's really helped to shape my character. It's helped to shape uh, my way of seeing things. And I almost look at my traumas now, you know, from that relationship breakdown that I told you about, you know, where, you know, I, I, that, that was hard, but, you know, the business failing and all that stuff. I almost feel like I've kind of developed this sense of invincibility after that. Um, it's like I spoke about being at the bottom of that pit. And I look at it like this. Once you've been there, there's nothing really left to fear. And it gives you this sense of, I can do anything. I can take some risks. I know what it's like to have the Monopoly board flipped up and have to go back to, to the start. I know what that feels like. And it's not terrifying to me anymore. You can't hurt me more than I've been hurt. Okay, good luck trying, but I'm going to go and have a, have a red hot go at this. And I don't want to confuse that with, um, you know, making, um, I guess, rash decisions um, and taking irresponsible risks. But I think that there are some responsible risks that you need to take in life in order to really level up, in order to further yourself. And I think a lot of people shy away from any risk. If you want to do really well, you have to accept some risk. And I think that having gone through trauma, it has really, really um, grown my ability to face risk with courage and with bravery and trust in the things that I know I can do well. Um, and so for me, I look at some of my trauma now, I've, I've changed that thought, I've challenged that thought and I've said, is it negative? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of negative emotions that I had to experience through that. But coming out the other end with hindsight, it's a positive, you know? And that's that's the best way I could, you know, sort of, I guess, answer that question. So much of it has to do with the perspective, right? And so much of it has to do with how you frame traumatic experiences. And I think that a trap that a lot of people fall into where, where they find themselves kind of living through memories of traumatic experiences in the past and un kind of unable to, to their life kind of keeps, it's almost like a, a, you know, a record on repeat, right? They keep coming up against the same things. They make the same decisions. They have the same outcomes and it, it's very difficult to break that. But I think that that's such a valuable piece of advice that you give is, you know, when you look back on the most traumatic experiences in your life, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a relationship breakdown, whether it's a death of a close family member or a friend, whether it's the uh, bankruptcy of a business, whatever that traumatic experience is, you need to be able to look back at it and go, you know what, what did I learn from that experience? What, how did I grow as a person through that? It's very difficult to see that at the time. Oh, it really it's is. It's very, because you're going, you're going, you're experiencing the negative emotions, right? But with time, as things go on and you look back at those memories, it's really, really important to not focus on the negative associations, to see them for what they were and go, yeah, that was a really traumatic experience in my life. You know, I look back on uh, my divorce, 
2018 to 2020 and everything that that involved, you know, the relationship breakdown, the emotional trauma, the financial impacts of that and all of that shit. And I look back on it and I go, you know what? That was one of the worst things that ever happened to me, but it was one of the best things could have ever happened for me because it taught me so many skills. It taught me so many valuable lessons. And now I have those for the rest of my life. That's right. And had I not gone through that, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to develop those skills, to become the person I am today. So I think that's, it's, it's so valuable, man. Definitely. And I think, you know, one more point on that, Joe, is to realize that there are going to be more traumas. Ah, Things are going to happen. You're going to, you're going to fail. And you're going to fail hard. But if you've, if you've got some experience, yeah. you're going to be able to deal with it differently. What can I learn? How can I apply what I did wrong last time to this new situation? Yeah. So with all the advice that, you know, I think we've shared over this podcast, I don't want people to think that it's um, a foolproof plan it's for one, never it's, failing. Yeah, again. it's one and done. It doesn't work like that. No, no. I, we, I fail all the time, you know. Like I sometimes make a bad call on stocking a product or yeah. we'll do a horrid month and, you know, and it's about reassessing constantly and, and you know, using the lessons from failure before. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important to note as well. We're going to lose more people. You're going to lose people who are close to you in your life. We all are. Mm. You're going to go through serious, significant traumas, you know, multiple times in your life. Um, and I think that if you can grow from each one or at least learn something from each one, you will eventually grow. And that's why the perspective is so important. When you look back, you have to look back with that perspective. You have to look back with that growth mindset. You have to appreciate all of the good things that come out of all of the really fucking bad things that happen in your life. You know, it's funny, man, because I like, I really like what you said where it was like, you know what, I, I, I confronted the worst case scenario and I figured out how to get through it. So you can't hurt me now. You know, I did it once. I can do it again. It's funny because I think about that uh, through the last couple of years of the, of the pandemic and the effect that it had on my businesses, right? And I was like literally in, a, in, in that first two-week period of the pandemic, everything that could possibly go wrong in business Went wrong in a period of two weeks. <laughs> Fucking lockdowns, uh, currency exchange rate collapse, um, people not coming into retail stores, people not shopping, everything. Stock shortages, fucking, <laughs> yeah, everything that could go wrong went wrong in two weeks. And it was scary as shit. And it, from a business perspective, it was the most traumatic thing I ever went through. But I got through it. Yeah. And it's like, what are you going to throw at me now? Bring it. Bring it. What Fucking are you bring it. Let's yeah. go. We've been there. We've been to the mountaintop. So we can do it again. It's super, super important. I want to flip the script real quick because what you, and this is really going to appeal to the, to the um, entrepreneurial listeners and viewers right now, what you were able to do from that rock bottom position with literally $10,000 and some stock that nobody really wanted uh, and kind of literally from the from ground zero, from the bottom up, building what you have now, which is 
two retail stores, online store, your own supplement brand, everything that you've got happening in your business life at the moment uh, is very, very impressive. Yeah, I, would, I just want to acknowledge. Thanks, I just, I just no, but I really want to acknowledge that man. You know, like it's it's really fucking impressive. Regardless of the trauma you went through to get there, even if that was your starting point, is really fucking impressive. I want you to talk about how you were able to do that, and how or what what practical and strategic advice you can give to the entrepreneurs listening or the people who want to be entrepreneurs listening or the people who want to start their own business listening, but they're in a position where it's like, you know what, I don't have the resources to compete against the big guys, right? I don't have the money. I don't have the stock. I don't have the brand recognition. There's no way that I can start from ground zero and build a business. What advice can you give? What I would say to that, Joe, is, you know, well, let, let's start with this. Doing a supplement store in the, in the industry that we're in is tough. You've got some Goliaths, um, some real Goliaths. And I think the biggest mistake you can make is try and do what those guys are doing because they've been doing it a long time. You know, you've got the likes of, you know, your nutrition warehouses and your ASNs and, you know, these guys do what they do and they do it well and that's why they're still around. So first and foremost, get out of your head that you're going to be the next um, supplement store that has 100 franchises and does a, you know, a big big floor space, supermarket style chain. Nutrition warehouse is doing it and they're doing it well. You're not going to be able to do that. So I think what I did was I looked at having come from a big franchise, I said, what are the things that they were doing wrong and how can I do them better and how can I put myself into this business? And I realized like early on, probably much earlier than Aussie Sups, that people uh, respond to people. People connect with people, not with brands so much. And I thought to myself, I need to do some things that the, that the big guys aren't doing. And what those things were for me was I need to take a personal approach. I need to give more of stew. It's going to be about stew, you know. And I'd seen some other – I'd seen another supplement store in my area, Team Flex, um, grow with that same principle. You know, um, Reese, who owns Team Flex, I took a lot of inspiration from you know, because I had been the, the the Goliath and I'd watched the David come up and overtake me, um, uh, you know, working in that company. And so I had seen it and I, I think, you know, at that time when I was the Goliath and I saw the David kind of come up, it frustrated me and I would get angry about it and I would be like, why are people doing that and all this sort of thing? But I realized at some point in time that this guy is doing something that I'm not doing. Um, and what is it that he's doing? He does, he's got the same brands as me. He's got the same products. He's not offering ridiculous discounts to bring people over. But what he was doing was he was giving more of himself. He was giving a unique experience. And, you know, I think it would be easy to then go, all right, well, I'm just going to copy what he's doing. You know, let's, let's watch his Instagram or, or his Facebook like a hawk and try and emulate it. But I realized as well, that's not going to work either because – Reese is going to do Reese really, really well. Stu's not going to do Reese really, really well. I've got to figure out what, what is Stu and how am I going to do Stu better than anyone else can do Stu. And that's what I did. And it comes back down to those foundational principles that I set, which was I'm not going to put a product in my store if I wouldn't use it. I'm not going to give anyone a product that I wouldn't give to my mother. 
And I wanted to really, I guess, tap into those real people. And you've got to remember that it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter if it's supplements or, you know, makeup or apparel or whatever. People are people. We're all the same. We're human beings and we all have the same desires. We all respond to the same emotion, the same emotional drives. And if you can tap into that with people, if you can connect with them on a real level, you're going to be able to do something different than what the big chains are doing or than what the Goliath in your, in your given industry is doing. So it's like you must tap in to that personal experience. If you can tap into that, you can win. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to beat the Goliath. It just means you're going to play a slightly different game. And I think that's important. Don't try and, and, and beat everyone. You don't have to have this mentality of, you know, of burn the competition and salt the earth. It doesn't help anyone. Um, you know, I've always had this um, kind of belief that there is an infinite amount of success available in the ethos. You take as much as you want. And if I take some of that success from the ethos, it doesn't mean there's less for you. So just because there's a nutrition warehouse down the street that's doing well, that doesn't mean that I can't do well a street over. It just means that I've got to change my game plan a little bit and I've got to connect with people. So understand that success is an infinite resource. Everyone can take as much as they want, but it is in direct um, relation to how much effort you're willing to put in, um, how much time you're willing to give it, um, and how much you're willing to connect with people. And that's what I've found to be to be true. It's classic infinite mindset, man. It's beautiful. You know, other people's success is not coming out of your pocket. It's just not. You, you don't have to lose for other people to win, and other people don't have to lose for you to win, right? That infinite success is there for you to take as much as you want. I think... Um, you know, one of the traps that I see young entrepreneurs, and I, I use the, the term young, not in, in age, but in terms of business experience. One of the traps I see young entrepreneurs fall into is trying to beat the best at what the best do best, right? You're never going to be better than the best at what they do best. Yeah. So there's no point even trying to compete on that. You need to find your niche. What can you do better than what the best do. Where, where, how can you innovate? How can you improve? How can you shift the needle of whatever industry you're a part of forward? And there's always a way. There is. There's always a way to do it. You know, I remember when when um, I committed to, uh, at the time, just it was just Massive Joe's at the time, full-time. It was 2012, 10 years ago. And my, exactly the same. I was like, how the fuck am I going to compete with these Goliaths at the time, it was impossible. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the staff. I didn't have any that, anything that I needed to try and beat the best at what they do best. So my thing at the time was social media and none of them were doing it. That's right. They well, completely overlooked it. And that was my little niche. My little niche was, you know what? I'm going to be the first person to sell fucking supplements on Facebook and Instagram. Mm. And I remember <laughs> and I was. Because this is the thing too, Joe. Like you've been in the supplement industry even longer than I have. Yeah. And I used to watch your review videos on yeah. YouTube. So we were the first of the YouTube generation, right? YouTube was new and exciting, but no one really knew how to capitalize on it from a business sense yet. Yeah. So you had some weird quirky videos, you know, the, the monkey with the falling out of the tree after sniffing his bum and all that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But 
people weren't using that, that was just child stuff. Yeah. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, that's that's not a business thing. Mm. That's just a little toy on your little internet program, you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's this young, you know, if you if you get a chance, listeners, go and try and find Joe's really old <laughs> videos and have a look at them. Right? They're still there. Have a look They're at still them. There. But that's what I used to watch. Yeah. You know, and even as a retail manager who was a state manager of one of the big chains, I used to watch your review videos. Mm. And I used to get insight from those. And I would use some of the things that you would mention in those videos in my own sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you were one of the first um, social media resources that I had, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like, you know, looking from that point to now, you know, and obviously I've got a great amount of respect for what you've built here. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to come down and and see the HQ and, and, and you know, the whole bit is because, you know, even you, even the massive Joes started as some guy making these videos, these raw reviews and, you know, hey, it was a bit goofy at the time or whatever, but, you know, look at what it's grown into. And so I, I've been able to sort of, you know, as a spectator, mm-hmm. as with everyone else, you know, as a spectator, watch that happen for you. Um, and that's that's really exciting, you know, and I think that it's it just goes to show that you – you know, there is always something different. Now, it's not going to be the the social media thing for the next guy who comes out. That's done now. Yeah. That's been done. But there's always something. You're right in, in what you're saying there. There's always something that you could be doing differently. Yeah. You know, like with my business, I, I have incorporated a few different things that have worked well. Doing a consult-based supplement store. You know, that's primarily what we are. That yeah. That's worked really well for me. You know, and, and really showing that I am an authority on supplements. I have a knowledge that you're not going to find in one of those big chain stores. That has worked really well for me. Um, you know, and I think it's it's about really thinking outside the box. And that kind of thinking is hard to do. Um, if you struggle to do that, I'd say start reading about it. Start reading about, you know, methods to use to allow yourself to start thinking a little bit differently and a little bit outside the box. But you've got to do it. You've got to find what it it's, is that's going to make it work. you got, you got to find that, that little niche that no one else is doing and you have to do what you can do to be your version of a pioneer in whatever industry you're in. It's super, super important. I think on the, on the other side of that as well, Stu, it's also, it's really important it's something that I'm I'm very conscious of now, you know, through my business journey and kind of, I guess, where I've kind of grown to with Massive Joe's and TMJ Power and all the other things that we do. Uh, and, you know, now being a more established brand and, and now having the resources that I didn't have 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I first started is making sure that I maintain the humility to not be one of those big guys that, missed back in the early 2010s, the social media opportunity. I'm always very conscious of, you know what, don't get so stuck in your ways of what has worked in the past that you miss the opportunity to be the pioneer on the next thing. Just because you've been in business for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years, it doesn't mean that you need to lose that one-year mindset that two-year mindset, that I don't have the resources to compete with the best at what they do best. Let me go and find the niche. Let me be the pioneer in my own little way. You can do that as a 20-year-old business, as a 40-year-old business. That's how businesses stay in business over the long term. That's right. They pivot, 
They look for new opportunities. They don't get so stuck in their ways that they allow competitors to come in and be the next pioneer. So I think that, you know, from, from, a, from a young entrepreneur's perspective, it's making sure that you identify the niche and try and be your version of a pioneer in your industry. From an older entrepreneur's perspective, it's making sure that you maintain the humility to have that young entrepreneur's mindset. 100%. I think like probably the most concise way I could put that is the ability to adapt is far more important than what that adaption is. Yeah. Okay. If you have the ability to adapt, you're going to make it. If you don't, you're going to fail because you might, you, you, you know, you might strike gold once, but if you don't have the ability to adapt, you ain't going to strike it again. So the ability to adapt is more important than what that adaption is. If you can just take that as your key point moving forward into your business, you're going to be able to be successful. 100%. Um, you know, that, that, that's how I would put it. Stu, we could go for hours, man. <laughs> we've been going for 75 minutes now. I feel like we've been going like 15 minutes. Yeah, but yeah. I do have, I've got, I've got one more question that, that I want to ask that I think is, um, is a really good way to kind of wrap up this, uh, this podcast, this interview. And I think is also going to help provide the last final little piece of practical and strategic advice and value for the listeners and the viewers. You got a lot of shit going on, man. You got a couple of businesses, a couple of stores. Uh, you're a family man, as you mentioned. Wife, son, another son on the way. There's a lot happening in Stu's life. How do you balance? I think, Joe, that's probably the question that everybody who's doing a lot of things asks themselves. Um, and I don't necessarily think that I've got it Perfectly right, but I, I I can definitely give a guide as to how I make it work, and I think I'm doing a pretty good job at it. You know, I um, I've I've done the thing before where I didn't have the balance. You know, I was the bride buster, and I ruined a relationship over giving too much of that and not enough to the relationship side. But I've got to a point now where I've realised that we have more time to do things than we let ourselves believe. So, you know, like. Let's say your waking hours are like 16 hours a day or something like that. You know, 16 hours is, is a lot of time to get stuff done. You know, like you're probably spending eight of that at work. That leaves eight hours to do everything else. And maybe you maybe you give a little bit extra to work like I do. I probably spend more like 10 to 12 hours focusing on work. But I think it's really about looking at what do I need to achieve and scheduling everything in. If you can be a scheduler then you can balance things. So for me, it looks like this. And, and, and I think there's probably still room to tweak this. You know, I think that I could improve my system. But when I'm at work, I'm focused on work, okay? I'm work stew, okay? Then when I get home from work, I'm dad stew. And I give Oren the time that he needs. Then once I've put Oren to bed, I'm partner stew. And I give Renee the time that she needs. And then after that, I go and do my gym. You know, and there is enough time in a day to do that. You know, I think we always hear, I'm so busy, I can't do that. And it's like, yeah, but are you really utilizing your hours? Are you really utilizing them? And I think for most people, the answer is no. And I think if people really thought about it and really structured it out and scheduled it out, they would find there's much more time in a day than you think. So it's really about utilizing that time. It's about structuring it. And it's about keeping those parts of you separate segmenting a little bit, you know, I'm not thinking about business when I'm 
at home with Oren. I'm not looking at my phone and checking emails. Um, when I'm with Renee, I'm not talking about issues that I'm having with distributors. I'm not talking about business, you know, woes that we all have on a weekly basis. I'm spending time with her, you know, and we're, whatever it is, we might be watching a show together, but I'm, I'm in that moment. And I think that that really is, is the most important thing is being able to schedule it out and then being able to sit back and assess, is it working? Do I have the balance right? Um, and if you don't, you need to change it. You need to change the way you're doing it. Um, you know, I find myself a lot of times, maybe I, maybe I am starting to check my phone a little bit more, checking emails when I'm supposed to be in Renee time. It's about stepping back, having a look, reassessing and saying, I need to stop that and making real changes. And if you can do that, I think you can, I could balance more hats. I think I could have more balls in the air. You know, there is, there is still room for, for more stuff to be going on. Um, you know, because a lot of the stuff that we talked about, a lot of those things outside of partner and dad stew, they all come in that 12 hours of work time. And I think I could probably squeeze a little bit more out of that work time if I needed to. Um, so there's plenty of space. There's plenty of room to move. Don't limit yourself to, oh, well, a day is the time I spend at work and that's my day done. That's, you know, there's, there's a lot of time before work starts. There's a lot of time after work finishes. Utilize it. I have this uh, thought process or this, this concept that I call micro obsession, macro balance. And what this entails is pretty much exactly what you've just articulated, right? The micro obsession part is being 100% present and mindful with what you're doing at a particular point in time while you're doing it. You know, while I'm at work, I'm 100% in work. While I'm spending time with, you mentioned Renee, your partner, while I'm spending time with Amy, my wife, I'm 100% in Amy time. While I'm at the gym training, I'm 100% in training time. That's the, the micro obsession. On the micro, the thing I'm doing right here and right now, I'm 100% present. I'm obsessed. The macro balance is being able to step back out of the micro understanding all of the different micro obsessions that you've got going on and understanding that at different points in time, you're going to have to give 100% presence, 100% focus, and 100% obsession to each of these little micro things that makes up the big macro balance. That's how I like to think. That's, that's it, you know, and that's probably, you know, it's hit the nail on the head and it's much more concise than what I put it. So I'm, I'm going to steal that off you, <laughs> You're welcome, <laughs> I'm man. I'm going to use it. It's in infinite. Go <laughs> I'm for it. use it in subsequent yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's it. You know, that's, that's really how we all have to do it. But I think that, um, you know, that stepping back on the macro, yeah. that needs to be done regularly, really yeah. regularly. Like I probably do that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I say, am I... Am I still balancing things the way I need to? Um, and communicating with the people around you. Am I giving you what you need from a partner? Mm. Or, in, like, you know, he's got his own way of telling me if I'm giving him enough as a dad, mm. you know, and my employees will tell me if I'm not present enough at work. So it's like reassessing regularly, mm. regularly. You know, it's a, it's a constant tweaking process to find the balance because, you know, that's the definition of balance, right? We've got to adjust a little bit to get it happening. A hundred percent. And it's always a work in progress. It's funny because it's so counterintuitive to like multitasking, right? And, and so much of 
what we do as a society now is how many things can we do at the same time all at once? Can we have emails happening and a phone call happening and social media happening and have this conversation and drive to this place and listen to this podcast and how much shit can we do at one point in time to some, because somehow that's going to make us more efficient, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is complete bullshit. Right? It makes you less efficient at everything. It drives you fucking crazy. And it, it doesn't allow you to be micro-obsessed on that one thing. And if you can't be micro-obsessed, how are you ever going to be able to step back and have the macro balance? Yeah. And there's a big difference between doing a lot of things and doing a lot of things well. Yeah. Um, I think anyone can do a lot of things. Mm. You know, you could, you could show up to work. You could be a terrible dad, terrible partner. Mm. Um, anyone's got the ability to do a lot of things. But I think what you're really asking is, how do we do a lot of things well? And that's where the micro comes in, Yeah, you know? So. I think it's a continuous work. I know it is for me. For me, it's a continuous it work in progress, right? As I'm finding different ways to, like the presence thing for me, I, I understand how important it is, but it's still so fucking difficult, man. You know, it's so hard to, to just consciously bring yourself into that moment. And I, I struggle with it, to be honest. And that's why it's a work in progress. Is, I'm trying to get better. It's the same for everyone. Trying to get better. That, I think that, it, that everyone's like that. And I don't think anyone has a perfectly built mind yeah. where they can throw things into compartments and not let it creep in. Yeah. But it's about learning how to do that. And I, look, you know, like I like to really in, envisage, you know, shelves. Yeah. And I'll shelf things for a while. Like I'll, I'll put it up on that shelf. And it's not going to come off the shelf until I'm ready to, you know, revisit it. Yeah. So it's like... It might start to fall off the shelf a little bit and I'll go, oh, you know, I've got to contact, you know, this distributor tomorrow. Oh, don't let that fall off. Put it back there. You're in dad mode right now. Yeah. You know, and just keeping it, everything in their positions. You know, don't let them, don't let them trickle in. Don't let them seep into that other part of you that you need to be right now. And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. But the more you practice, the better you get, like anything. That's right. Stu, thank you so much, man. It's been, uh, it's been a, an absolutely wonderful uh, interview, uh, very insightful, very valuable. I, um, you know, on behalf of the listeners and the viewers, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and really kind of not pulling any punches as well, you know, leaning into that vulnerability and, and um, really sharing more than you had to. Uh, today and I really appreciate it and I'm sure the listeners and the viewers have appreciated it as well. Uh, guys, you know, the one thing that we ask in return, if you have enjoyed this episode of the show, if you've uh, enjoyed listening to Stu's story, if you've taken value, if you've taken practical advice, strategic advice, if you've just had a had an enjoyable hour and a half-ish, I think we've been going for. <laughs> the one thing we ask in, in return is that you guys share the show. Um, you can share it person to person next time you're at a, a, a dinner or a friend or family get together and you guys are talking about podcasts you've listened to, drop the Fitness Times Business podcast in there. Uh, one of the best ways that I love seeing the show shared is take a screenshot right now on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to take that screenshot, post it in your Instagram story, tag myself at Joseph Mansell in that post, tag Stu. At the Stu Shannon. At the S-T-U-S-H-A-N-N-O-N, phonetically spelled at the Stu Shannon. Uh, Stu and I will see those tags and we'll repost as many of them as we possibly can. That's one of the best ways to share the show and reach as many people as possible. Stu, thank you so much once again, man. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you sharing your, uh, your journey and your story. And I hope to have you back on the pod uh, in no time at all. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Absolute pleasure. And 
definitely. I'd love to come back, mate. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you enjoyed this episode and took some value from it, make sure you share it with your friends, your family, and your followers. And if you haven't yet, be sure to leave us a five-star rating.